everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including an alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. So excited to be coming to you. It is indeed the Katie Helper Show. This is indeed the Katie Helper Show. We have a great show coming for you right now. We have joining us Camila Escalante and Ali Vargas to talk about Colombia. Then we're going to be going to Texas for reactions to the shooting, really more at this point to both the shooting, but also all the police misconduct and dysfunction. And we're going to be hearing from community organizers, Sema Hernandez, Ashton Woods, and Claudia Zapata. If you're watching this live, you're in luck because you get to see this whole show. Um, Sorry, I had a major itch right on the nose. Uh, If you watch this later and you want to see the whole thing, make sure you become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And you'll be able to access this entire interview with Ali and Camila. Uh, You'll also be able to access other great Patreon-only content like an interview I did with Susan Sarandon, a chat with Branko Marcetic about why the squad needs to take a stand on surveillance and also the Ukraine story that nobody's talking about and everyone should be talking about. You'll also get a... Patreon-only full interview with Michael Hudson next month. So these are all great reasons to join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And of course, you can support the show by liking it right now. Just give a thumbs up and also share it. And subscribe if you don't already subscribe. You just hit subscribe and then you hit the bell. You can also join YouTube and become members and you get great emojis and badges. So bringing into the show, onto the show, Ali Vargas and Camila Escalante. Hello. Hi. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having us, Katie. Good to see you. You too. And people probably know because they are uh, they are the Latin Americanists of the Katie Helper Show. I don't know if they know that. They are Katie Helper Show correspondents. So you've probably seen them before, but just so I can introduce them in all their glory. Camila Escalante is the co-founder of Casechon News in Bolivia and known for her reporting on Telesur. Ali Vargas is a Bolivian journalist and writer, and he's contributed to Telesur, Morningstar, and other media outlets, and is also part of Casetron News. And they join us now from Bolivia. So please tell us what just happened in Colombia. We had an election on Sunday. It was too close to call a winner. So tell us about who the two men are who are going to be having a runoff June 19th. Okay, so I'll just bring us up to date on where we are news-wise, and then maybe Ollie can go a little bit into the candidates. Uh, But thanks for having us again. Um, So Sunday was the first round of Colombia's presidential elections, and there were uh, 39 million people eligible to vote. We're hearing numbers, something like um, only 60% uh, turned out, which is still, you know, can be quite high compared to some um, electoral scenarios. But um, as expected, the center-left candidate, Gustavo Petro, won the first round but didn't win the elections outright. He would have needed um, to get half of all valid votes or over half of all valid votes. And he actually uh, got just over 40% of all votes. And the second place winner, who will go on to the second round to be held June 19th, uh, in about three weeks, is Rodolfo Hernandez. 
And that was a shock to a lot of people. Um, they were expecting the second place um, candidate to go into the second round to be the um, Alvaro Uribe candidate, the candidate of the far right, uh, who is uh, Federico, known as Fico Gutierrez. And he came in third place. So he won't be going on to the second round. But um, it's important to say right off the bat that um, the right-wing candidate who did win, uh, you know, his spot in the second round, who came in second, um, after Gustavo Petro, Rodolfo Hernandez, is, of course, a candidate of the right-wing, of the right-wing oligarchy, of the establishment, although he, he shows himself, um, or portrays himself as being an anti-establishment candidate. Um, he, in fact, was adopted uh, by the right wing on Sunday night when the um, electoral authorities came out and said that there will, in fact, be two rounds. Um, and they said that, we're, you know, that these these two candidates will likely be in the second round based on the pre-count uh, non-binding votes. And so all of the far right came out and said that right away that they would be supporting Rodolfo Hernandez. And so, of course, the third place candidate uh, Federico Gutierrez actually received, um, you know, at the end of the count, um, something like five million votes, which is quite a lot. Um, he he's not too far behind the second place candidate. So he declared his support for the right wing, the other right wing candidate, which means it's going to be a very difficult second round. People thought that, um, you know, uh, Gustavo Petro, who is a uh, well. We'll have Ollie explain uh, Gustavo Petro, but who is the candidate of the left wing of the social movements of all the leftist parties and the Pacto Histórico is the name of the coalition, uh, that he was going to have an easy time, according to the polls. Not only did some polls predict that he might win the first round outright, but they predicted that in the second round, he would have a very easy job uh, against, uh, against this far right Uribeza candidate, uh, Federico Gutierrez. Now that the guy's out of the race, it's looking like it's going to be um, a lot more difficult uh, because, you know, people might see this other candidate as some somewhat of a third way party, a centrist candidate, anti-establishment. Um, and it might kind of, uh, you know, cloud things a little bit, especially given the media campaign that we're about to see. But we'll talk more about the media campaign. Yeah, uh, I just want to start saying that Gustavo Petro is a, is a fan of ours. On at least one occasion, he has uh, is quote tweeted Calcetin News and uh, my own personal account. So that's a uh, a nice bit to start off there. Yeah, full disclosure: you have to announce your conflicts of interest. So thank you for your yes, yes. Well, we we didn't ask him to quote. So he right. he just did. You know, just right. Yeah. Many 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 have done so. Anyway, but Gustavo Petra is um, he was the left wing candidate and he got forty percent of the vote and. You know, and he won by 12 points. You know, he was ahead by 12 points to second place. Second place guy got 28% of the vote from 27.9% of the vote. That's and then in a lot of countries, he, Gustavo Petro would be president already. I mean, in the electoral system we have here in Bolivia, Gustavo Petro would already be uh, pronounced as president. I think in a lot of countries it's the same. But because of Colombia's electoral system, and I'm going to have to go to a second round and now the guy that got 28% of the vote might end up taking the whole thing. Um, and this happened in some other countries like Uruguay um, and, and elsewhere. But it's, uh, as Camille said, I think it's going to be difficult 
for the left-wing candidate to win in the second round, precisely because there's such a toxic media campaign. He's been called, you know, a terrorist. He's been called a, a drug trafficker. He's been called uh, all of the usual labels that are thrown at anyone on the left in Latin America. And Castro the, Chavista. Castro Chavista. But the context in Colombia is that Colombia is one of the most violent countries in the Americas. Um, it's uh, certainly within South America has one of the highest rates of violence, uh, both, you know, street uh, delinquency, but also political violence, especially against the left, especially against uh, social activists and uh, political candidates. And there's, that's been a concern throughout the whole thing was that Petro and his vice presidential candidate, Francia Marquez, Afro-Colombian Afro leader, that they would actually be assassinated. Um, and a lot of their speeches, they've been going around with these like massive shields um, when they're making public appearances, because it is just a genuine concern that Colombia doesn't have a great deal of, of, of law and order. And as a huge right-wing paramilitary movement linked to uh, drug cartels that have systematically assassinated hundreds, you know, thousands of uh, union leaders, uh, left-wing political candidates, etc. So the, all of that tension is going to get even worse in this second round um, where, it, you know, it's going to be presented as uh, democracy or communism and we have to save the, save the fatherland from communism. And when you use those words, anything goes historically, um, all, kinds of, all kinds of violence. I want to show people a photo of the two candidates so they could get a sense of what these two people look like who are who made it into the runoff. So here, the guy giving the peace sign is the leftist candidate. The guy with his arm up and a fist is the right wing candidate. And then I wanted to also show, because you mentioned that the vice presidential candidate is an Afro-Latina leader, she would be the first Black Colombian vice president, correct? Correct. And this is a very cool photo of the leftist, Petro, just to give you a sense. So now you can visualize these different candidates. The other guy has the same hairstyle as Berlusconi. Yeah, he does, huh? I was trying to think of who he reminded me of, and maybe that's it. It's the Berlusconi. Let me see. Trump has a better wig than this guy. Let's take a look at this. Is that true? Let's see. Yeah, it's a pretty bad comb over. It's a pretty bad hairdo. He was like Berlusconi before he had the hair trunk, before he took yeah. the hair from the back and put it on his head. Yeah, and he has that Berlusconi kind of dead man skin going on. And he's quite old. He's he is born in nineteen forty-five. I think that makes him like seventy-seven. Well, he's so sad because that was, of course, by then. Um, I'm not sure. What, I wonder if he died before or after. He was born before or after. His hero, Adolf Hitler, killed himself. Uh, yes. but yeah. He did. He did indeed call himself a follower of Hitler, right? And then he pretended he was talking about Albert Einstein. Yeah, he says he said in an radio interview that he's an admirer of a German thinker named Adolf Hitler. He did say that it was just like a, a lapse, you know, just a, a brain fart. Yeah, uh, a brain fried moment. And he was actually talking about Albert Einstein. Right. Quite ironic, obviously, for lots of reasons. Historically. I know. Can you imagine if Hitler? I'm just glad, guys. I'm so glad Hitler was not around to hear that comparison because <laughs> he'd be so. I don't know. I, I actually, I actually kind of believe him because 
he he's he doesn't seem like a, a person of of completely sound mind. He is. I mean, he's 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 like similar age to Joe Biden. And we all know Joe Biden has has all kinds of like moments where he doesn't make hundred percent sense. So maybe maybe he's telling the truth. Either way, you don't want him, probably. If you guys are watching this live, you're in luck. You got to see that whole thing for free. And if you are watching this later, you have a lot of this show for free, but you'll definitely want to become Patreon supporters to hear the Patreon-only chat that we have with Ali and Camila about NATO and about Colombian mercenaries and all sorts of other things that you definitely need to learn about. So again, to do that, go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And if you're just joining us, make sure you like the stream. Make sure you subscribe to this. We're almost at 72,000. Got to get to 100,000 soon. Let's make 75,000 as a very soon to-do list thing. And make sure you like the stream right now. We are very excited to bring our next guests on. We are bringing on Ashton P. Woods, a civil rights activist and defender of the public good. He's a dedicated track record of fighting for all of Houston, and he is the founder and lead organizer for Black Lives Matter Houston. So, Ashton, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for joining. Then we have Sema Hernandez, who's been on the show before. She's a political organizer, social media content creator for Opt Out, Progressive Coder Networks Cohort, and campaign manager for Claudia Zapata for Congress. So, hi again, Sema. Hola, Katie. Thanks for having me. And Ashton, it's great to see you here. And then we have Claudia Zapata, who is the Democratic nominee for Texas Congressional District 21. She's the daughter of working class Tejanos. She grew up cleaning toilets, picking citrus, and caring for her grandpa in hospice. She was raised to believe in the core Texan values of family hard work and taking care of others. She has experience fighting for families. She developed policy at the Texas Capitol as legislative aide is an active nonprofit volunteer and community organizer and an experienced workforce and budget analyst for the Texas Health and Human Services Commission. And she will face off with Republican Chip Roy, who was, by the way, Ted Cruz's former chief of staff, in November to represent Texas's 21st district. So welcome, Claudia. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start with condolences because what happened, of course, the shooting was tragic and the police response infuriating. I want to just ask you guys what it's been like for you all. And I know, Sema, that you have children. What the experience has been for you all just being in Texas and Texans? Well, I'll go ahead and, and start off. Um, I want to say that at this point, I am completely dumbfounded with why we have not taken action, why this is something, it's almost like a ritual practice at this point to where a, a shooting happens. We have Congress people who are completely funded by the NRA who are saying, or senators that are funded by the, the NRA that are saying, we send our, our, our deepest thoughts and prayer. We are fervently lifting up all of the families and all of those uh, um, impacted by this uh, terrible incident. Um, when in reality, this is not something that we should any longer be talking about. And it is not an incident. At this point, it is a cycle. It is a cycle that we have the opportunity to end. And as someone living in Texas, I, I know that Uvalde does not fall within the 21st Congressional District, but it's neighbors. It is, we, we touch borders with Uvalde. And I, my heart breaks knowing 
that our communities are being completely exploited um, and are being completely neglected by elected officials who have nothing better to do than fill their own pockets. Um, and at this point, I'm just angry. <laughs> there's, there's hurt, but I, I've used that and I'm channeling that into anger and action. Um, I, I don't have children myself, um, but I do have nieces and nephews and just friends who have children. And the, the idea that even I, when I do have children, have to bring them into this world where they have to worry about being shot to death in their school. How do I, how do I manage that as a parent? You know, there's only so much that I can do to protect my kids. I'm only around our, my kids so much. Um, and I just feel like a lot of parents feel very hopeless at this point. But I want to say, let's channel and use that hope and use it as anger. <laughs> be angry. You are allowed to be angry. Uh, and let's really show up at the ballot box in November to say, yeah, we've had enough. This is it. Ya basta. So I'm thinking... Yeah, like Claudia said, I agree with everything, but I want to go a little bit further. I think right now this is an opportunity to educate people about how things work, not just registering people to vote like we did on Friday last week or telling them to vote like we did on Friday last week, but also recognizing that Uvalde is heavily Latina. And with that recognition, we also must be sensitive to people who, who are undocumented and can't vote and how to in, be inclusive of them in the electoral process until they can get citizenship, number one. Number two, we need to bird-dog the hell out of the, our legislative members and our executive branch, the governor, the attorney general, um, the lieutenant governor, and every single Republican in the Texas legislature. Because I've seen Claudia at the Texas, at the Texas legislature because you've seen me walk through there. Um, and I've worked with the former representative Garnett Coleman and a host of other folks to get several bills passed, including the Sandra Land Act being in the room. We need to get people to start showing up at the Texas legislature when these bills get into committee so that we can shut it down. And we need to make sure our legislators here, which uh, in the Texas law requires that a legislator must make access um, available to anyone who can't make it to the capital, so their their offices in the local city in the local area can be used as a space to testify remotely if someone can't make it. There's a host of things that we can teach people about this, about how these laws directly affect them, about how these laws passed last year with one legislative session and three special sessions to marginalize so marginalize people who look like us, suppress voters who look like us, and to make sure that people understand that the legislature meets every other year. That means every two years for five months, if that. And they jam all of these bills through. And I can tell you, they do it in a way that is not very progressive in the context that they will announce a bill and have a committee meeting the same day at 6 o'clock in the morning when no one can show up. So it's not just on us to show up. It's also on us to make sure that people have access by making sure elected officials don't do the things that they're doing, the sneaky, underhanded things that they're doing. We need more than just Democrats taking off and going to D.C. and different cities and not. And, and you know, it was a great thing they did that. But to do more than just break quorum. We need people to not be cowards. We need people not to give us lip service. I'm not talking about the thoughts and prayers crap. 
the turn of the other cheek crap. So the reality is we got to get those things done. Not only that, we also have to honor the victims of of all of these shootings from Buffalo and California and Dallas. You've had synagogues uh, shot up. You've had mosques burned down and being shot at and mass murders happening in churches, Mother Emanuel. You've had grocery stores. Of course, you've had schools at every level. There was a shooting in my hometown of New Orleans at Xavier University while people were trying to freaking graduate. The reality is, is we need to raise the age. We need to make sure licensing is put back into place. We need to actually have a healthcare system that also addresses uh, mental health in a holistic way that improves people's quality of life, meaning we must stop using our jails and prisons as mental health care facilities. We must address the fact that we've been, as a collective, not me because I don't like the police but as a collective have been putting police in a situation of reverence in a situation of untouchableness and now you have the Uvalde Police Department not working with other investigators they're retracting statements every five minutes this is a moment for accountability and yes we must again talk about defunding the police and making sure that we have a police system since we since people have to be privileged and feel like we need some protection in place you don't want to address the fact that we keep having crime that's supposedly rising but we're not addressing the fact that evictions even in Houston as I speak right now are rising every day and causing people to have housing insecurity which also spikes crime and causes people to do what happened in Uvalde and let's also talk about the elephant in the room, the racism of it all. I don't care what the shooter looked like. There are people who have self-internalized racism that do not like people that look like them, regardless of what the reasoning was. The 87-year-old woman who died in the grocery store who lived through Jim Crow, who, who was asked to wait and live through incremental change, our children, no matter what they look like, do not deserve that. The time is now. That's a powerful statement from both Claudia and Ashton, and I worked with both of them closely on several um, several efforts at organizing. And I am deeply, deeply grateful for Ashton's work in organizing the rally and putting it together and really focusing and centering the most vulnerable people in our community, which are black and brown and poor children and children in general that are being impacted by this. I have four kids and they go to different schools and they have different challenges in schools. The one thing that shocks me, out of the many things that shock me um, about this, this day and age is that they not only have to prepare for a hurricane, um, tornado, now it's a shooter. And it's been like this since, since Sandy Hook. So it's been about 10 years or so. And when I sat down with my kids and I asked them, what is it that you do, that you're told to do, that you're trained to do, if there's a shooter on campus. And the only thing that they are trained to do, unfortunately, that they have to be prepared for this is hide under their desks. There's only one door into that classroom and one door out. It's the same damn door down a hallway. There, there is nothing that is going to protect these kids in schools other than changing legislation from the bottom to the top, however the hell we can do it, we must do it. And we cannot rely on one person to do it. It has to be a collective effort because it's not just one specific child. It's not just one specific group of people. This gun violence epidemic is happening across the board and raising the age at the minimum would prevent prevent 18 year olds with no criminal record, no um, mental health record on file 
from getting these these uh, these guns, these high powered guns of AR-15s. They should be banned. They do not belong on the streets. They do not belong in our schools. And certainly the good guy with the gun theory doesn't do a damn thing to protect these kids because there was plenty of people on that campus, in that neighborhood. They were supposedly good guys with guns that did not a goddamn thing to save those kids other than save their own asses. And I'm tired of having to look through the media. And I had to take a break personally because my entire timeline was filled with not just the inconsistent stories and reporting and inaccuracies from the police, but then I had to look through each and every single report from these children saying, I called the police. We told them the shooter was there. They shot my friend. And then to hear that these kids had to be identified through DNA, because those bullets, those aren't regular bullets. Those bullets are meant to cause massive internal damage. They are essentially a bomb and shrap metal that when they hit something, it explodes in shrap metal. It completely goes through the entire human body. And it is absolutely dangerous, irresponsible, negligent of these politicians to continue to take money from the NRA and expect us to just be settled with thoughts and prayers because that is not enough and it will never be enough and it will br- it will never bring back our children. And to hear that these children were literally praying in class and that didn't save them, what would have saved them, what would have saved those kids is if we did not pass legislation to benefit gun manufacturers, the NRA, these lobbyists, that's what it would that's what would have saved our kids. Healthcare, of course, would have saved our kids. Having access isn't enough, making sure that we have it available from urban areas to rural areas across the country and make sure that we establish a system that is going to be accessible regardless of if you know how to pay or have means to pay it. None of these social programs should be means tested because if, if they're there and in place and available and offered at every single turn, we would have mental health. We would have preventative health care across the board. And as a mother, I have to ask them every single day, what are the conditions in which your school is in? Because even in school, they would much rather fund a resource officer with a gun than fund mental health counseling on school campus. And that to me is the greatest travesty of all, is that we're starting them very young, conditioning them to this violence. And like Claudia said, this is a cycle. This is a cycle of conditioning for violence, preparing our kids to be violent children so that they can recruit them into an even bigger uh, oppressive exploitive system of the military industrial complex. And although I've heard reports of this doesn't happen in other countries, it sure as goddamn does happen in other countries, except it's the American government that is the aggressor going in with guns, weapons, and blowing up other people in other countries with people who do not have guns. So there has to be a limit And we have to draw the line somewhere and we have to fight back by any means necessary. And if that means, and I know some people are going to be pissed at this, but oh, what the fuck ever. If we have to run as Democrats to get shit done, then that's what we have to do. And anyone who wants to run as in any other party, then find more power to them. But we have to do this by any means necessary, by any way that we can to change the system from outside, from the inside, from however which way we can, so that we can ensure that our children, their children, their children's children are going to have a better future and not have to send their kids home. I'm sorry, send their kids to school and not get them home in one piece, safe and sound. 
And can you update us? This goes to anyone of you, but on what some of the, I mean, the lies we've now seen that the police have told, like they've had to correct so many things. What are some of the things that they've lied about that we know of already? Well, first of all, let's talk about the fact that on the day of, at the minute of the, that they hit the news, it was hours that felt like that went by before they even announced what actually happened. So that says to me they suppressed information and they suppressed things because it was initially said that the uh, shooter was caught. And then Abbott went took it upon himself to have a press conference. Where was the mayor and the local government? Why did Abbott have to have the press conference if, if, if all of these things were all set up? They were suppressing information. They couldn't keep track of their lies. That's what this is. So not just the law enforcement, but our governor needs to be held accountable as well. And now that we see even down to the door, the door was not propped open. We know that the locks don't function. I thought it was horrible that they would even blame a teacher for doing something like that when they know safety protocol in the first place. It makes it seem like there was some culpability where there was none sliding the blame to someone that had been endangered. Number one, victim blaming. That's what we call that. Okay, and then the next thing we need to talk about is this. Aside from the NRA convention. Think about the fact that if you listen to Greg Abbott's speech the day of I'm sorry, on Friday, when he said he pulled out and he gave he said some words and said in Yovaldi, But what he said, said to the convention of um, attendees on video was the total opposite. So are we going to play this game of flip-flop, tell everybody what they want to hear, or do our job? So what needs to happen is, is the DOJ needs to come in, and they need to arrest all of those police officers on that force that were there. They need to take that police chief as well. They need to take that city government and question them. There needs to be a large, massive investigation. There needs to be a congressional investigation. We don't need the Texas Rangers. We need the DOJ, and we need the federal government to step in. Because this is an example, as I stated earlier, about what happens when we give police reverence to the point that they think that they are above the the law for 19 children and two teachers to be shot with an automatic weapon with bullets that shatter children should be able to get up in the morning and and whoever their caretaker is should be able to see them eat their favorite cereal or whatever it is they eat for breakfast if they even get access to breakfast one and number two enjoy summer vacation and you know my third and last point because i can throw it around because i'm sure they can add to what i was going to say but the reality is is the policing needs to be needs to be restructured the way we police now is is untenable for people who look like the folks on this chat right now it is unsafe when i keep hearing people about what do you mean defund the police no it doesn't mean that we take all the money away it means that we stop giving a billion dollars to hpd like mayor turner did in the last couple years and taking and giving that to small businesses who can open up restaurants and food insecure areas and allow people to get housing assistance beyond the covid pandemic so that they won't get evicted and things like that, healthcare, access to the healthcare, reliable access, those things. I think those are the things that will go into preventing shooting. It's not just us making laws and policies that will prevent things from happening, but also holding the police accountable for when they fuck up like they did in Uvalde. Because what if that was here in Houston? What would it look like? What would it look like in a city with two and a half, three million people versus a small town? What attention would it get? Right. And how would that and how would it be handled? We're seeing that they're suppressing information 
And because the lens is on them like it is right now, that would have never happened before this. So we have to keep the pressure on them and how they police. And we have to look at the law enforcement structure of Texas and of Uvalde. And I think there needs to be an overhaul. I also want to jump in and say that uh, the news came out today that Uvalde Police Department and the ISD police are no longer cooperating with the Texas Department of Public Safety in their investigation. Um, And this investigation was spurred after it came out that law enforcement officers waited at least half an hour to enter the building. And during this time, like Sema had mentioned, there were students calling in from inside their classrooms who were in hiding and calling 911 and saying, there's someone in here, they're shooting my friends, send help. And we had law enforcement officers standing outside, standing outside while all this was going on. And we had a chief of police in Uvalde who said, oh, you know, that was the wrong decision was made. And now they're deciding not to cooperate with even the Texas DPS. That is absolutely disgusting and despicable. At the very least, you know, because we we love Republicans and conservatives. I won't say Republicans, but people that are very conservative will love to say, like, you know, if why are you getting so defensive? If you have if you have nothing to hide, why are you getting so defensive? You know, just comply, just comply, just comply. So why isn't that happening here? Why isn't there a bigger outrage over what's going on here? And I want to be very, very clear um, that no one has given a fuck about rural Texas until this happened. Before this, no one gave a shit about Uvalde. You never heard congressional people, even Tony Gonzalez, who currently represents Uvalde, talking about real issues that happen within the district. So let's not pretend and play that we treat all, that we can treat all issues or all parts of uh, of Texas or the nation the same. Because I'm out here running in a very rural area, but where are all these people, all these organizations who are now claiming to really, really care about what's happening in Uvalde, where are they at in other parts of rural Texas? Because we are largely communities of color in unincorporated areas who are constantly exploited. There's no one fighting for us. And this idea that you can apply legislation and talk about it in a way that's applicable to every single part of the nation when some of us don't even get heard is absolutely ridiculous. I'm just, I'm tired of constantly being ignored. And then the only time you hear about rural Texas is when our hospitals get shut down. So when we have two for an entire population of like 760,000, or we have a mass shooting like this. What we need is constant, constant 24-7-365 engagement and care for rural Texans. I'm obviously a little biased because I'm running for for Congressional District 21, which is majority Hill Country area. Uh, But I just want to make sure that we are using this to also highlight that, that the, the same issues that affect urban and suburban areas may not translate well into legislation that impacts rural areas. Um, For one, I very much understand because I grew up on the border um, that the police department, uh, military, 
um, Border Patrol agency, are all people that look like me and Sema in in South Texas. So it's people that have no other way out. And so they join the system because that's the only option that they have to be able to provide for their families, put food on the table and care for themselves. And so I wanna make sure that we are very careful with the type of language that we use, um, especially when it comes to talking about um, how policy impacts different areas, um, even amongst Texas. I am really hoping that this will draw attention and bring light. Um, I also wanna give a shout out to John Lita, who is currently running for US Congress in Texas's 23rd Congressional District against Tony Gonzalez. Um, John Lita would make an excellent, excellent representative in the US House. And we need to be upholding and uplifting his voice right now at this time, because uh, frankly, the Texas legislator isn't going to do anything about this. I mean, I'm I'm sorry to be very, very matter of fact, but this is the, the issue to this does not lie within the Texas legislator. If it if it did, things would have changed years and years ago. Well, you know what? I have to rebut that because if the Texas legislature could take away a woman's right to choose, they can reverse that and they can change this too. You know how that happens? Just like when we show up to the polls to vote for you. We got to vote for these other people that we need to support us to get into the legislature. We can't just downplay that. Number oh, no, and, and I, just, I definitely. And just, and just to and just put to, just to put a caveat on it. When I say bring the DOJ in, I don't trust policing at all. But we live in a system that we can't change. When people talk about crashing a system, there are people who got parents in a hospital. How are you going to take care of the, the the how hospitals run and how people get electricity and all this thing? So before you go on fire sale, not you. Uh, Claudia, just just putting that out there for people who are watching. Before you go on fire sale and, and crash the system, which I'm all for, you better have a replacement in, in, in place or a plan so that we can protect the people who we as activists have been protecting, right? But yeah, dismantle the system. Yes, dismantle the policing. And also, we need to bring trades back so people won't have to go to Border Patrol because we need to abolish ICE, number one. Number two, we need to abolish the police but until we can do that, we got to work with what the fuck we got. Until then, deal with it. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to say that it's not that I don't believe that, that anger was not directed towards you, Claudia. No, I know no, it's it was, okay. there's some I, people I, in the chat. No, no, no. I, I understand. No, I, I just, I want to say that I believe that the Texas legislator, of course, has mechanisms to move us forward. Of course, the, they have the power to make these choices to pass this legislation that saves lives and improves lives and empowers communities, working class communities. Um, the likelihood that that happens, the, the likelihood that that happens, I'm at this point, and like I said in the very beginning, like I am, I am this close to being hopeless, <laughs> not giving up yet, but this close to being hopeless because I'm not sure what else it takes. No matter what, if people really, really cared about these issues, we would no longer have to continue educating them about it, right? Like we, this would have changed after Sandy Hook. 
We wouldn't have to continue doing the same thing each time this happened. And so I, I do think that we need to support, obviously, everyone that's running for Texas rep and Texas Senate as Democrats. Um, but I also fundamentally believe that the only way forward and out of this is going to be federal legislation. And, and that's unfortunate because we know that even that's damn next near impossible at this point. Um, but it's truly the only way that I feel that we have to move forward. I will add with the way things are going in Texas, the candidates should be working together, not just to elect a governor, but to flip the damn Senate, to flip the damn state legislature. Because if there is a majority Republican uh, legislature, whatever the governor does will be vetoed at any point in time, and they will still get by with the things that they want to do. So it's extremely important to invest in rural communities, to invest in candidates that are truly upholding the values that resonate with them and to get rid and undo these, these laws that have oppressed us from school shootings to body autonomy, to trans youth bills, to voter suppression laws, to um, bathroom bills. There are so many special sessions that Abbott accommodated for to really steamroll and suppress and oppress people that are already oppressed, we need to flip the damn state legislature. I cannot emphasize that enough. Electing a Democratic governor is not going to be enough. So you got a lot of people in the chat, I just want to be real, who are like, oh, this is vote blue no matter who. Democrats won't save us. They're right. Democrats won't save us. Have you met Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema and a host of the other ones who now want to call themselves progressive or centrist and all these other things? I don't like that word. When I hear progressive, I hear a white person who does not want to be called a fucking racist, first of all. Honestly, really. I mean, I'm cool. You know, there are some people out there who want to do their job. I don't know that people got to align, but I never want to be in Congress where I got to sit in the meeting and somebody tells me how I got to talk and tell them police me because they want to have a fucking unified look when there are people who won't even pass a simple bill that would have given billions of dollars to folks. Now, don't get me wrong. All politics are local. And I honestly believe that, yes, the system that we're in is corrupt, the whole damn system. But I was born here and I descended from people who were not trying to come here, number one. And number two, I have this is my home, though. And I have to do what I have to do, what I believe in, whether it's antithetical to what other activists believe or what people out there believe. But the reality is, is that a lot of people have a lot of nay, 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 nay. But those same people will be in line to get housing assistance, right? But we'll turn around and be like, I hate Trump and I don't vote. But the reason why you have less access to housing assistance is because Trump got in, right? It was already bad before him. It was never really good, right? And in, in the last 10 years, there's been so many shootings and so much violence. But the reality is, is that if you think about making sure that people have the most basic shit that they need, whether it's you putting a refrigerator on, at, talking to a corner store or, or a storefront and saying, hey, I see you have an outlet outside the store. Can I put a refrigerator here? I'm going to put some food in here. And I want people to be able to walk up to it and grab from it because we clearly don't have viable grocery stores that take their food for expiration dates. That's the stuff I see here in Houston. I live right here in Sunnyside. I can walk into any one of these corner stores as soon as I walk out of my door and I can find a can of green beans that was in there since before I was damn born. 
And so the reality is, is when we're talking about gun violence, we have to talk about all of it. And we have to talk about how the system allows things to put us in danger in every single way. And if you're not worried about quality of life during this conversation, then you probably are on the wrong side. Absolutely. I also just want to quickly mention it is very insulting to be called a vote blue, no matter who, Dem. Mm. Um, I will say that uh, I don't give a shit about party affiliation. It's the last thing that I care about. I'm a good person, a community organizer who happens to be a Democrat. Do I believe we should make it our entire personalities? No, because in many ways, Democrats have failed us, especially in rural Texas. Rural communities of color have been left out of the conversation because they don't see our areas as winnable. So I don't attribute to the vote blue no matter who type of discussion. Um, but I fundamentally believe that shit, you know, this is the best way and best option that I feel like we have to that I have to make a better difference in this world. And if that requires me running as a Democrat, just so that way I might be able to get my voice heard, just maybe, then sure as hell I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna fight for my people. Absolutely, and to the people that are in the chat and not even looking at the chat, stop holding these people who are good people doing organizing to the same standard as those corrupt Democrats that are in office blocking bills and accepting corporate money and doing really shitty work to represent people. Claudia is not the same as Nancy Pelosi. Claudia is not the progressive squad. Claudia is her own person. Just like John Lida is their own person. I am my own person. Ashton is his own person. We are not to be held to the same standard as other folks that have already screwed us over. We're fighting to change that, like I said, by any means necessary. If it means running as a Democrat, so be it. To the people who are running as an independent, do your thing. Do what you gotta do. It's gonna take a hell of a long time to get your names out there. It's gonna take a hell of a long time for people to take you seriously because of the way the system is set up. It is fucked up, but we have to do what we have to do. And I have no regrets about running as a Democrat and I have no regrets about organizing people who happen to be Democrats, but it is not in our identity. And how we run campaigns in Texas has to be very decentralized, um, deconstructed because those national issues are very polarizing to people in Texas because the media has made it so polarizing. So what people call the Green New Deal on national level, we call it protecting our water, our air and our land. What we call universal health care or Medicare for all, we call universal preventative health care in rural Texas. We call it health care for all. And it's something that Claudia has been working on. And I am so sick and tired of people that say, I'm done with electoral politics. Okay, then nothing's going to change. If you check out, nothing is going to change. We need to be engaged and involved on every level, however we can, whether it's community organizing, mutual aid, electoral politics, all roads lead to politics. Politics has no problem messing with your life. So why not go in there and mess it up so that we can reconstruct it the way that we want to see it? All right. Well, this has been great. And we're going to keep it going on Colin. Any final thoughts? I think that I guess it goes up for me. I think more or less, it's just more about us having conversations with each other about where we want to go from this point. Um, and all the arguing and, and sniping that people have been doing in general, because if we don't listen to each other, um, 
what that means is, is if I go into a room and I sit at a table and there's no room or space to for anything for me to say anything, or if my, I feel like my words are not being heard, um, I'm going to get up and go where, not in a tunnel way, but just go around people who are willing to do the same work that I am. Even if it looks different from me, I know that there's some form of agreement there. It's not about compromise. It's not about strange bad fellowships, but something has to get done. And the only way that gets done and if, if you know, is to build our own table. We don't have to sit at the tables that already exist. And then building our own table, we're going to make sure that we are protecting the most marginalized, whatever that looks like. All right, great. And I'll see all of you on, Colin. I'll be on. This has been great, everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming to the show. You're watching and you watch this whole thing. That's great. You watched it live. You're in luck. You saw the whole thing. If you're watching this later and you want to see the full interview with Ali and Camila, which you will because they talk about Plan Colombia, they talk about mercenaries, they talk about NATO, then please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie helper show and see you all on Colin. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you, Sema. Thank you, Ashton. And thanks, Ali and Camila. Okay. See you all next Tuesday. Bye, everyone. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Halper, Nick Palm, Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time. See you next time.